0: My dad died. I miss my friends because of. I don't know how to tell my friends that.
1: I want to help my friends. I don't know how.
0: The pandemic
1: has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my classroom? The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is the morning meeting. Hello. And welcome to our second episode of Season 2 of The Morning Meeting. I'm Mandy Zucker, the host of this podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Ian Wolfe. He currently serves as the Coordinator of Student Conduct at Bergen County Community College, located in Paramus, New Jersey. Ian has oversight for the student disciplinary process, and he serves as the Title IX Investigator for Allegations of Sexual mis- Misconduct. Additionally, Ian is the case manager of the College Behavioral Intervention Team, which is tasked with early intervention for students that display disrupting and problematic behaviors. He is also currently a doctoral candidate at Manhattanville College in Purchase, New York, working towards his doctorate in education. He's studying the impact of COVID-19 on the personal and professional lives of community college staff. Ian volunteers for his national fraternity as the primary advisor in the state of New Jersey. We're really excited to talk to him today. So Ian, thank you so much for coming on the Morning Meeting podcast.
0: Thank you for having me, Mandy. So my name is Ian Wolf, and my title at Bergen Community College is Coordinator of Student Conduct, uh, and in this role, I really do sort of a mixed bag of, of things Um, But in addition to just student conduct, I also serve as the case manager on Bergen Community College's behavioral intervention team. So uh, the behavioral intervention team is a cross uh, campus body composed of faculty and staff, uh, as well as law enforcement that really are serving as an early intervention system to students who are displaying disturbing or problematic behavior on campus
1: so it sounds like the case management part of your job um, is almost like if they can get involved with you there, then maybe they won't need to get involved with you in the conduct uh, discipline.
0: Pre- precisely. So, so really, it's it's serving as a way where students hopefully before getting into trouble, quote unquote, in, in terms of the conduct system or um, a way to sort of connect students to personal counseling on campus Ah, uh, Bergen does have a really robust personal counseling office. Uh, but really, it's only as good as students know about it. So yeah. sometimes when faculty, staff, or really other students do refer students through our behavioral intervention team, um, it really serves as that first layer that we've heard about really an issue and allows us to sort of triage in advance of something becoming um, a larger uh, situation, I, yeah, right, larger okay. situation than it needs to be.
1: So in the case management role, you're seeing, I guess, less problematic. And then if it gets to the discipline area, the conduct area, then those behaviors have passed a threshold of um, some kind of a rule that you have on campus, I assume.
0: We use this rubric and really you can rank a student for mild threat, moderate, uh, elevated or severe. And we will take each behavioral intervention referral and really rank it. And the ones that are mild or moderate really get not lesser of attention, but they are treated more lower level, if you will, where okay. maybe outreach from one of our personal counselors or outreach from our Dean of Students office can serve as a first uh, layer of outreach to to the student. Um, but if something is more severe or elevated, that will require... Uh, sometimes a little bit more of a hands-on approach from more individuals that work for the college, uh, and potentially with mental health counselors outside of the institution or law enforcement outside of the institution.
1: Got it. So I always see behavior as communication. Um, people act out their feelings. Act. I don't even. I don't even like the word act out. But they act their feelings. We all do that, right? We. Eat too much. We drink too much. We shop too much. (laughs) We don't sleep. We sleep too much. You know, that's all based on our feelings. Um, So all of these students that you're seeing who have behaviors, um, you know, typically you're going to see students who who have behaviors that are maybe not within what you want the mainstream to be or what you know we as a society think of as uh, typical or acceptable. Um, But they have some. There's usually some kind of a feeling. Something sure. happening um, oftentimes, um, I look at it in the lens of loss and grief. Um, so what are some of the behaviors that you typically see and um, and then we can also get into what are some of the things that you've been able to talk to students about that you know they're really struggling with what are some of those losses or stressors that people are dealing with so when
0: when thinking about this question, a story immediately popped in my mind that I think uh, is Sort of beneficial for me as a professional. I think that the listeners will find it really insightful as well. So, this is not a behavioral intervention team referral. This was a conduct referral for a student who had his hand literally all the way up a vending machine. And the public safety department on campus had to respond. And eventually, they had to cut open the vending machine because they couldn't get this student's hand out. So, it was referred to student conduct. And my first thinking is, you know, what's going on? Why is this student stealing or try, attempting to steal, you know, snacks, cheeses, right. <laughs> gummy bears, you know, packs of gum, stuff that mm-hmm. really is not nutritional value. Um, and when I met with the student, I fig- I figured out that the student was recently homeless. Uh, he was kicked out of his house and was grieving about that. Um, didn't have food, Uh, didn't have shelter. So really when you don't have that first level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs of the stuff you need to survive, you'll act in ways that maybe other folks would see as irrational or Mm -hmm. irresponsible. So I connected the student with our personal counseling center on campus and the Center for Food Action, which is a food bank located in Bergen County, um, and really got the student On track to be successful as possible. And I was extremely excited to see uh, the student graduate this past May and has recently transferred to a four year institution in the Northeast to continue their studies. Um, But I wouldn't have had that impact if I didn't have the opportunity to communicate effectively with the student to peel back the uh, layers of the onion, so to speak, and get to the bottom of truly. Why are you displaying this behavior? So mm-hmm. while that's not a behavioral intervention team example, I still think it's a salient example of how communication really can serve, uh, serve everyone um, in positive ways if, if we're willing to communicate. Um, so I hope that that answered the
1: question. It totally does because, you know, I think oftentimes we look at behavior, right? And we think this behavior is either good or bad. And we need to do something about the behavior. And if you didn't meet with the student, you just said, okay, you were stealing from the vending machine. That is a, you know, some kind of disciplinary action, a, you know, a mark on your record or a suspension or whatever it would be, some kind of probation. Um, We would, you would have never known about all of the other, the history and the the loss that this kid was experiencing. And um, without having, you know, I have no idea if he had to get any disciplinary action um taken because of that but who cares because you were able to provide him with support that he needed so that he didn't have to engage in that behavior anymore um which is yeah I, what i'll say
0: to that is he stole around 8 dollars worth of food and in the conduct world you call what you you call that restitution where you pay back uh what you you took and the 8 dollars i think was a learning lesson for the student And moreover, in student conduct, I'm an educator. I don't view myself as primarily a disciplinarian. So by educating the student, not only did did he learn, but I also learned as well that maybe the positionality that I have as a middle-class white individual uh, is not shared by everyone. And to sometimes think outside of my own worldview is important.
1: So tell me a little bit more about students what kinds of you know issues and stressors and losses were have you seen kids dealing with them?
0: The students that come to Bergen Community College are often students that are already at risk where they didn't meet the traditional high quality student coming out of high school whether it be grades or co-curricular experiences these are students who are you know just looking to take a couple courses Uh, here so that maybe they can get a certification, maybe an electrician certificate or some experience in welding um, versus students who want to eventually aspire to a PhD. Students do have those aspirations that come to Bergen Community College, but it's really a diverse set of students that come there. So in, in working with college students it's even harder at a community college because you've got such a diverse array of experiences coming in. Mm-hmm. So what that means is you need to have different sort of supports, and we'll talk about those supports in a little bit, but mm-hmm. they come with different levels of coping, some really good at coping, where they've been uh, faced with adversity and grow more resilient over their years before attending Bergen Community College, versus those students who maybe haven't been Um, faced with the type of challenges that their peers maybe have. Uh, The biggest coping that I've sort of seen are mental health skills um, where students don't necessarily know how to focus on time management effectively. And what happens as a result is around finals time, we are going to see, I would suspect, a higher uptick of referrals to our behavioral intervention team around finals. This morning, I already got three of them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm interested to see what the next couple of weeks bring as finals uh, begin and then conclude.
1: I'm wondering also with COVID, there's been a lot of job loss. So, you know, maybe somebody in their family lost their job and maybe that means they've had to pick up a job, uh, you know, delivering pizzas or whatever it is, which can also make it really challenging to get schoolwork done and obviously add a ton of stress just knowing that maybe they're responsible for um you know bringing money into a family and yes. paying for
0: college. <laughs> Precisely, it's super super difficult our 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 students at community college and this is this is a generalization so not every single community college student but we do know that community college students are traditional are usually older than mm-hmm students who attend bachelor's degree granting institutions. And we also know that they have more children um, versus students who are typically 18 to 24 attending bachelor's degree granting institutions. So really there's there's a lot going on that you throw in now COVID where it's like, I don't even have a place to work and do my schoolwork. That's different from my bed. So oftentimes we're seeing students from Zoom, WebEx, Google Meet, whatever it is, laying on their bed. And, and sometimes I sort of say like, hey, can you sit up on the bed? It looks like maybe you're falling asleep. And then I sort of have to check myself. It's like they don't have any other space to work. you know. They yeah. And I'm sure you've seen it where folks, not necessarily students, but everyone sometimes are Zooming while they're in their cars, Zooming while they're walking, because frankly, that's the only place that they can focus and, and not be Um, interrupted by other factors going on in their life, whether it be family, tending to uh, caregiving responsibilities, things like that. So time management has definitely um, provided a unique twist uh, during COVID. And if, if I can just share one other thing, what I found in my dissertation research relating to staff members that work at community colleges is there's a lot of time before COVID where there was, if you will, a valve check between, okay, my personal life, I'm not going to let that trickle into my professional life, where now that valve is gone. Mm-hmm. Where we're working from home for what is nine months and continuing. How yeah. can, if you have a child, how can that not bleed into your Zoom calls? How yeah. can that not bleed into why you might not be as responsive as you normally would have been in the middle of the day because you're making lunch for your children that are home or helping take care of your elderly parents and geriatric care. There's a lot going on and a lot of stuff that um, I'm finding that folks haven't necessarily processed and discussed yet with other individuals. They've um, by and large been, been dealing with this situation themselves and, and not discussing it out there in, in um, more of a deliberate and intentional way. And, and for that, I've seen a lot more referrals to mental health uh, counseling, both on campus at Bergen and off.
1: I think that that is so key. And actually, I I almost see it as a silver lining of COVID. Um, Yes, we are in each other's. I'm staring into, I don't know what room that is in your house, but I'm staring into your home, right? As we do this Zoom call, um, teachers and students, you know, most students never see the inside of their professors' homes. Um, They are right now. And professors are seeing the inside of their students' homes. I've always had this feeling that, we can't separate life from work, right? We don't just put our lives aside as we walk into the door of our offices or into our classrooms. And I think this can provide a real opportunity and we can talk about some of the resources that are available on your college campus. But um, typically what I've heard is that most colleges are under-resourced. There's not enough support available for most kids You know, mental health supports available and things, and I am really hoping that this pandemic provides an opportunity for teachers um, to check in with their students. If you take five minutes out of your class day to say, "How are people doing right now? What's going on in your lives?" and let people have a two-minute check-in, bring their personal lives into their classrooms frequently. What that has shown to do um, is to let You know, if you can sort of relieve it from your brain, then your brain frees up to learn more. So if you're um, holding it inside and you're constantly thinking about what's going on in your personal life, you're not absorbing much educationally. Um, So if teachers, you know, can be supported to provide that, you know, not be the therapist, but provide a little bit of support maybe at the beginning of a class period. Um, It may actually not only help students, um, but also help them academically.
0: I I completely agree. And I I also think teachers go into the profession because it's it's largely a helping profession. They want to help um, individuals um, grow in, in formidable years of their lives. So what I would add there is just that teachers also need some time to reflect, too. Like they're reflecting with students and you can give and you can give and you can give. Yep. You also have to refill your own uh, batteries, your own energy as a teacher as well. So uh, okay. finding those resources for teachers is, is also critical and something mm-hmm. that during COVID has exposed that teachers don't have that opportunity and frankly are being asked by K-12 administrators to do more and more and more. Absolutely. So I, 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 I'm, I'm hopeful through this pandemic that on the other side of it, there will be um, eye-opening conversations, potentially a reckoning uh, for how we treat educators and the resources that we provide to them.
1: I completely agree, and you know, part of what I do, this podcast, is just one piece of my um, organization. And part of what we do is we go into schools, universities, classrooms, um, and provide support to students. But we also provide the support to the staff because you're absolutely right. There's there's no way to ask. I always say that it's very expensive work emotionally expensive work to provide support to others and um, our teachers are not getting paid well enough um, perhaps financially but I'm talking about emotionally Um, so they don't have the emotional wealth to be able to give out uh, to students so we need to fill that bucket as well before we ask them to give of their emotional selves. This episode is brought to you by Inner Harbor, providing grief support to students and those that support them. Find us at www.inner-harbor.org. So tell us, um, what are some of the resources, some of them maybe, you know, things that you're proud of that are happening at Bergen County or things that you feel like are continuing to be challenges and, uh, you know, you hope to see in the future?
0: Yeah, man, loaded question. Let me sort of see <laughs> I how know. I can break it down and, and try, to, try to keep me on track here. I'll go with some <laughs> of the things and, and hopefully keep me, keep me centered on the question. Um, sure. the, the biggest thing that I'm finding students are struggling with is connection to personal counseling.
1: Okay. So
0: Bergen Community College has seven uh, licensed personal counselors um, on campus. And what's important to mention is that's not their full-time job for any of them. They all have different roles. So um, when I say seven full-time, maybe that equals two or three full-time practitioners if you take out all the other work that they have to do. So that continues to be a struggle even before COVID in terms of the resources that um, community colleges specifically have. Mm-hmm. So what we find as a result of that is many of our personal counselors are referring their students out for long-term care to the community, external right. to the college, which um, helps alleviate some of the pressures on the college, but also takes away some of the oversight that the college has. So we don't know exactly what is going on with our students versus what is not and frankly, we don't need to know what's going on with all of our students. We just need to make sure that they're healthy and that they're able to be as successful as possible, um, given the resources that they have.
1: Sure. So, let me ask you a question yeah. about that: Is the personal counseling available for free on campus? It is. Yep. So, is. so referring out can also be an equity issue because that's Correct. not going to be free. And if you don't have insurance or you have a high deductible, then then it can make counseling. Inaccessible to many students.
0: Yeah. And, and, it, and it usually leads to the cyclical process because bear in mind the population of students that are coming to Bergen. These are often lower income, non traditional students who yep. maybe are older than 26 and have their own health care or, mm-hmm. or don't have their own, don't healthcare. have any health care. So it continues a cycle of inequity for sure. And it creates um, I will call it more compassion fatigue from our counselors, from our personal counselors, where they know they're referring someone out to the external community. And they also know that that student doesn't have insurance to be treated on, on a long-term um, schedule. So yeah. it's, it's super interesting. And and that's even, you know, put COVID and the pandemic aside, that's something that I think needs to be addressed more, yeah. more long-term.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what I'm also finding, if I can go to a second is, When students are receiving that personal counseling, it's now telehealth instead of face-to-face. And I do think that telehealth and and meeting either on Zoom or via phone is better than nothing. It certainly doesn't replace the in-person experience where if you're three feet away from someone in a private, isolated, confidential space, you can be much more transparent versus doing telehealth while walking around the block or in your car, if you even have a car. Right. So um, I think it's making these things more transparent, being aware of what's going on and, and just knowing as a professional who, even though I'm a lay person and, and non-clinical, uh, just knowing when I do make referrals, what the outcome could be on the backside.
1: Yeah. I actually heard, um, and I know your school is fully remote right now. Is there any opportunities for kids to come onto campus at all?
0: Very, very, very few.
1: Because I had heard, um, which I thought was a really great um, idea from some schools, um, residential schools, that you know, online telehealth is really hard when you live in a dorm with another kid sitting in the bed next to you. Right? Um, there's mm-hmm. no privacy. So I had heard that some schools had created Zoom rooms. Um, maybe in the library or even in the counseling center. So you could go to the counseling center, sit in a Zoom room um, or at the library where nobody knows what you're doing. Um, You know, you could be talking to your family or having some conversation with your girlfriend, um, but then you could actually do your telehealth um, that way. Um, If it's not available at, you know, a community college, it might be available in your community somewhere. So, you know, the library may have, um, a private space
0: or something. I'm just trying to think of ideas for yeah, students. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, my, my mother, she actually works at a library and mm-hmm. the library is open and it's 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 not so people can really sort of go through the shelves and, and see which books they want. Uh, they're doing curbside right. pickups, so you have to reserve it. But in terms of a public library, they do have open spaces where I believe it's 25% of the maximum occupancy. And mm-hmm. what she's found is people are reserving these private rooms to do precisely what you just said, have that personal confidential telehealth uh, where they wouldn't be able to do so in their living space.
1: Yeah. So what are some other sort of non-traditional ways that students may be able to get um, some kind of support?
0: Well, I think one of the ways is just straight up connection. So Mm -hmm. I think that students should be involved. So um, I think of the college experience as largely co-curricular where you have your coursework in your classes, but you also need to um, complement that by being involved on campus. I think what I would say is the operative word is complement, not supplement. So I think that students should largely be getting involved in clubs and organizations on campus. And what I've seen through the pandemic is uh, club advisors and student organization advisors have really stepped up in terms of the ability to respond to students, to communicate with students on a more consistent basis, where maybe if they were, we'll call it a passive advisor who would maybe attend one or two meetings during the semester uh, under normal times, under pre-COVID times, if you will, now they're joining the weekly Zoom because they're Having more flexibility as as a staff or faculty member uh, working from home, but they're also able to really be eyes and ears on the ground for students. And if they see something that they don't like, you know, to take from the NJ Transit, if you see something, say something. <laughs> uh, sort of a mentality to yeah. refer them out, and that referral usually does go to personal counselors. But it, but at least it gets them on the track to um, being helped in ways that they would not have been helped before.
1: Yeah. And I also think that that is being part of something um, is really, can be very helpful to people who are struggling. So if you have a photography club, I had a guest Mm -hmm. on the podcast a few weeks ago who was talking about how photography really saved her um, during a grief experience. Um, How, you know, something she had never thought about, but she just joined this club and I think she made connections and friends, but she also felt like she was able to express herself through photography. It doesn't seem like photography is going to be your mental health support, but it could be. And there's, you know, a ton of clubs um, out there that, you know, if you explore some of your own interests, it may actually be supportive thing to you in, you know, different kinds of losses that you've experienced. I'll also just put in a plug if I can, yeah. that um, Inner Harbor can come to your organization and teach uh, each of you how to be a support to friends who are going through difficult times. So um, I'm always happy to, to come to organizations and speak to students and about those kinds of issues. So
0: so, so I've, I'm situated, my office is the Office of Student Life and Conduct. So I, while I don't directly help... Um, and advise our clubs and organizations i found that that's growingly in need where um you know they were virtual for the second half of the spring over the summer things sort of died down in terms of club involvement but for the fall um they need sort students need more help in terms of processing yeah. uh what does this mean and what i said earlier was folks just they could be students they could just be regular you know citizens of the community really people haven't processed covid and And really grief is present for everyone in COVID, whether you've lost um, a loved one, a significant other, or you've lost employment, or you've just lost the ability to socialize in ways that you have done before. Mm -hmm. Everyone has experienced loss, but the processing of it and really reflecting back is something that I find hasn't really truly happened in earnest. And I'm hoping, I'm hopeful over the next three months to a year, everyone really can find that um, way to communicate effectively, uh, with others and really process what this means to them.
1: How are you coping? Um, you know, you're doing a dissertation on staff. So, um, what is it like for you this whole pandemic and, um, and how are you coping in both good and maybe not so good ways?
0: Yeah. Um, I am lucky enough that I have not lost my job, Um, and I'm still able to pay rent and utilities. Um, I'm beyond blessed to uh, have the resources to continue uh, to work from home. I'm beyond blessed to have a good internet connection and to be able to Zoom in and and really conduct my work in in somewhat of a seamless manner. Uh, What I'm struggling with, honestly, uh, is the ability to see family. Uh, I'm a very family-oriented person, Uh, My family lives around an hour to an hour and 15 minutes away from me. And out of an abundance of caution, I've just really sort of stayed away since March. I'm very hopeful that we'll have a vaccine at some point and really rolled out in the spring to summer of 2021. Uh, But one of the things that's definitely taken a toll on me is the ability to like hug my grandparents, hug my mom. Um, It's great Mm -hmm. to hop on a FaceTime call, but that doesn't, do the same thing. So for me, that's one of the ways that, um, I'm struggling with coping. Um, and I think it's just talking it out with, with my girlfriend, with my partner, um, going and seeing my grandparents from a distance when I can under CDC guidelines and everything like that. But that's Mm -hmm. one of the ways that it's taken its toll on me, um, is the ability to really, uh, do what I had done before the pandemic, now. So uh, it's Mm -hmm. a, it's a daily struggle and it just requires uh, processing and just talking it out. Because if you're not talking it out, you're just um, fostering and harboring those um, negative feelings and negative emotions. And sometimes you just need to sort of, you know, if you will, word vomit those out just so uh, other folks can sort of see and understand where you're coming from.
1: Thanks so much for sharing all of that. Ian, how can people contact you if they'd like to learn more?
0: Individuals can contact me through my personal email, which is my name. So Ian, spelled I A N, Wolf, W O L F, the number is 1992 at gmail.com. So uh, again, IanWolf1992 at gmail.com is the best way to reach out to me.
1: Thanks to Ian so much for coming on the podcast today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Next week, we have a very interesting guest. Her name is Leah Carey. She's a sex and intimacy coach. And we're going to be talking about sex in college in the middle of a pandemic. It's a little bit racy. um, I'm warning you, but I think it's a really interesting conversation that I feel like we're having so many conversations about so many things related to this pandemic and sex seems to have been left out. So it was important to me that we included it. So I look forward to that conversation. Thank you also to Stephen Bluestein for audio production of this podcast. That's all for today. Good morning to all of you.